Let me ask you. Okay, I'm throwing this out. Would you describe heaven for me? Have a go. How would you describe heaven? Share whatever comes to mind. Beautiful? Presence of God. Presence of God. A super spiritual guy out there. We'll go on. Yeah. What's that? Perfection. Anything else? Just share whatever comes to mind. No sin. No sin. Yeah. Anything else? No death. No death. Love. Love. The saints who have gone before. Yeah. The saints who have gone before. Yeah, it's a lovely thought, isn't it? That we'll be reunited. No one's mentioned clouds or harps or white gowns or palm branches or singing forever. You're you're not very spiritual, are you? Uh, So look, (laughs) here's the thing. When we we look at the Bible, and we're in Daniel chapter 12, we're going to conclude the book today, the end of a 14-part series. We're in the final chapter of the book of Daniel. We're looking at the final phase of human existence. And what's surprising and interesting, I'm interesting and I'm pleased, that no one's talked about angels and floating and harps and singing and gowns and everything else. Because I want to show you, friends, in the Bible, that the Bible envisages, envisages the future of the Christians as physical. As a physical reality in physical bodies. That's the future of the Christian. I mean, forget floating around. If you want to do that, I mean, I don't know, be an astronaut or something like that, okay? Because the future of the church is a physical reality with a physical body to enjoy. And that's where we're going. Daniel chapter 12 concludes with that incredible message. Before we, we pick up, before we resume, let me just recap. Uh, we had four points last week. It's the fourth of those points that I want to address today because someone lied to me about how much time I had left last week. Cut me short in my message. So because of that, I'm getting my own back. You've got a whole sermon now on the final point, okay? So we're going to focus on, on the fourth point, but let me just recap quickly because it's important. This is the last chapter of Daniel. Here's the, the, the major themes coming out. Number one, Christian suffering will reach a crescendo as the end of time approaches. Sobering point. Christian suffering will reach a crescendo as the end of time approaches. Verse 1, there will be time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until now. We've said before all through Daniel that we can expect as Christians ongoing suffering in the Christian life. It's not going to be a bed of roses. I mean, one of the interesting things that came across in my conversations with Kate over the last couple of days is that we all face challenges in life. Jesus says we will have trouble, but what Daniel is telling us in chapter 12 is is that they're just the birth pains and that the final phase of the church on earth, the final phase of the Christian before eternity is one of exponential suffering. Suffering like the church has never known. Concentrated, global, test the faith of many. 
there will be time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until now. So that was the first point. Christian suffering will reach a crescendo as it approaches the end. It's not going to get better, but worse. Secondly, Daniel foresees in his prophecy that time is moving in a linear motion towards a definite end. Listen to this. There's some confusion about the dates, but essentially they're telling the one message that everyone has agreed on, 1,290 days or 1,335 days. We set that symbolic. Whatever you think, they're giving one simple message, whatever your interpretation, and that is... Well, let me ask you this before I say that. Look, the earth is spinning on its axis 1,670 kilometers per hour, or 1,073 miles per hour. And we imagine, don't we? Every one of us imagines that the earth will continue to spin. You're sitting there. Some of you may have timed your ovens. Do you do that in Australia? You know, you put the oven on timer, you go home, your dinner's ready. You don't do that here? No, 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 no. They do that back in the UK. Okay, yeah, yeah. Don't start that here because what happens at 12 o'clock? Everyone wants to go home because their dinner's burning. Okay, so don't start that habit. So look, we all imagine that the next moment is guaranteed. You're assuming I'm going to get to the end of my sermon sometime this afternoon. This morning. I know. That was, that, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, right. We all imagine time just goes on. And what Daniel is telling us, no. God has put a bookend on time. And at a set period, whatever these days are exactly denoting, what they're telling us this is that at a very specific moment set by God, known by God, time, life as we know it, must cease. Jesus says the same, listen to this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then time will cease. We'll go to bed one evening, maybe tonight, set our alarm clocks, assuming that everything will just go on like it always has, but we will wake, awake, not to our alarm clocks, but to eternity and God. So Daniel tells us that time is moving in a linear motion towards a definite end. Number three, Daniel tells us that justice will be served at that end. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, we'll look at those in a minute. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. It's the first definitive verse in all of the Old Testament that speaks about a life beyond the grave, a resurrection. Look, what do we feel like when we see injustice? We see something unjust. What are we crying for? Justice. Someone blames us for something we haven't done. What do we want? Justice. A family member of ours has been unfairly accused. We're standing there in court with them. What are we demanding? Justice, when we stand before God at the end of time, after the resurrection, what will we ask for? Don't ask for justice. You do not want justice when you stand before God. The world out there that imagines 
that somehow they've lived a pretty good life. And that when they stand before God, they tell him how wonderful they are, how much they deserve justice, heaven. He'll say, be gone. And, and, and dish them what they believe they're due. You see, Daniel is really clear, friends, that at the end of time there's a rec- resurrection and not everyone makes it to heaven. In, in John 5, Jesus, picking up on this theme that Daniel introduces, says these, these astonishing and sobering words, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, the voice of Jesus, verse 29, and come out. Can you see the point that he's making? That when you die, it's not the end of your existence. All who are in the graves will come out, and those who have done evil, and the evil here is anything less than faith in Christ, will rise to be condemned. You see, hell, a terrible place, it's horrible to even talk about. Who wants to talk about hell? Um, Jesus does, more so than heaven. Hell will be a place of justice. All of hell's inhabitants will receive their full due for neglecting such a great salvation. Romans 3 tells us that the reason hell is just is because all of us are sinful and fall short of the mark or expectation of God. Justice will be served. Hey, let me just throw this challenge out before I come up to verse 4. Whatever you think you stand in God, you need his mercy or grace we'll be looking at next. You do not want God's justice because there's no one who will pass that cry out for his mercy. And so verse four, sorry, point four, and this is what I want to focus on with you this morning. Point four, as well as justice being served, and he will be served, and he will be seen to be served, he'll be rightly served. Point four, grace will be received. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life. Verse three, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heaven. At the end of time, when God meets out justice to the population of the earth, there will be a group of people who will stand before him, who will will look upon and see Jesus and see justice be meted out in Jesus. And as a consequence of that, you see, when we stand behind the Jesus filter, the justice is done. I mean, it's something we have to appreciate, don't we? Jesus, God, cannot just turn a blind eye towards Christians. He can't show favoritism like that. It's not as though he gives the world justice, but you guys just get off the hook. That in itself would be unjust, injustice. Now, rather, he sees Jesus, and through the filter of Jesus, issues grace and so here's what's happening Daniel's prophecy from chapter 6 to chapter 12 it's been doom doom and more doom although I've tried to put it over much more positively like than that but it ends with 
this glorious, glorious hope, and it's the hope is these friends, that beyond the doom, and remember, he starts chapter 12 by saying it's gonna get terribly doomy. Is that a word? Uh, well, horrible anyway, okay? Right, okay, it is in England, right? Okay, end of story. Uh, right, that, that beyond that, there's hope. There's a future, there's a heaven, and it's forever, and it comes to us as a grace gift. It means you can't earn it. It means you don't pay for it. It's given to us. Grace stands in contrast to justice, undeserved, unearned, unwarranted. It's something that comes to people who definitely don't deserve it. There's not a single person in this room who deserves heaven. It's a grace gift. It comes to us through Jesus and we get it through his good works. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes about our faith. I don't know if you've thought of faith like this. Look, we might imagine we're going to stand before God and if he asks us why we should be led into heaven, well, my answer is going to be because I believe in Jesus. Now that sounds like a fantastic answer, don't you agree? Is it just me or isn't that a brilliant answer? But I believe in Jesus. And before I know it, and my tongue gives it away, I should be in heaven because I believe in Jesus. And all of a sudden, I have made faith my own triumph. Hey, I get to heaven because... I believe. And she doesn't. And they don't. But I believe. And here's what Paul says, and it's brilliant. The greatest Christian ever to have walked our planet, Ephesians chapter 2, for it's by grace you've been saved through the mechanism of faith. But faith is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works that anyone can boast, which means that when I stand before Jesus, I'm not even holding onto my faith as a work in itself, but rather casting myself on Jesus and being received into his heaven as a gift. And realizing that even the faith that I've been exercising for all these years of my Christian faith is something that was given to me, imparted to me, I caught it. Not earned it. And so the famous, most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that, who, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, our salvation hinges on grace and the faith that he brings to us. And this is what Daniel is telling his people. Remember, these have just left exile. They've just suffered for seven decades for their sin. They're back in the land. And Daniel, rather than painting a wonderful, rosy future uh, for them, tells them it's going to get bleaker and bleaker and bleaker and bleaker until this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, comes along and he's going to hound the Jews to death. But whilst he's telling them that, he's prophesying, not just about the future 400 years on, but about the future hundreds of years on, and he sees a future where there's gonna be declaration for the church, but beyond that, a future that's extraordinary. Verse three, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heaven. The wise there has got nothing to do with intelligence, which means I'm in, and you're definitely in, Jim. That wisdom, or in, 
is, is not attached to intelligence, thankfully, but to a right relationship or understanding of who God is or who Jesus is. The wise will inherit that. Multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth, will awake some to everlasting life. And then if we turn to Revelation, what Jeff read for us in such a brilliant English accent as apart from a, a brummy accent, okay? Yeah, and Jeff, I think so. I, I love listening to you, Jeff. And so here's what Revelation 21 says in a brummy accent. I get Brummies, Birmingham, it's a part of the UK. Uh, I'm sure you know. Revelation 21, here's a fleshing out of Daniel's, uh, Daniel's introduction to resurrection life. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first seven and the first earth had passed away and there's no longer any sea. Let me just briefly comment on that. It doesn't mean you won't go surfing. Look, if you like surfing, don't worry, you'll enjoy heaven. When he says there's no longer any sea, it's not talking about the beach. It's talking about chaos. The sea for Israelites was a place of chaos, strife, warfare, fear. All that will be gone. Okay? Now I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. There will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Daniel foresees a future that Jesus through John now expands where there will be a whole new platform, layer, of life, life like we've never known it. It's going to be anticipated, pre uh, 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 preempted, if you like, by the Antichrist, this figure who will hound the church almost to death before Jesus returns to put an end to him. But when he puts an end to him, he will establish this new world that Daniel foresees, where those who have faith in him are resurrected to live in, and it's a world that's given to us by grace free of charge. Grace will be received. For some, there'll be justice, and that is not a good thing. But for some, there'll be grace, and that is good. Let me, let me try and explore with you what heaven looks like. Uh, what heaven looks like is, is, is a difficult task because the Bible isn't all that clear. But what I've done, I've, I've in a systematic fashion, assembled some of the detail for you. I want to try and sketch for you something of what this, what we said at the beginning, a physical reality in a physical body will look and feel like. I mean, if we look carefully, there's, there's things scattered around that we can, we can assemble and try and develop a picture. And I've done that for you. Look, follow me, I want to show you. First of all, I want to say this to you. The contrary to popular thought, the final heaven is physical. That wasn't a good thing to do. <laughs> because now I've got to find out where I was. There we go. See, you know, if you ever wonder what I do when I'm looking down here, I, I really do have some notes, and I, and I kind of do, do work through them. There we go. Okay. Hey, how about that? They've stayed in one piece. It's physical. Look, let me... 
It's solid, okay? It's solid. 2 Peter 3, this is, this is what 2 Peter 3 tells us, what happened to this planet. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's when he returns, destroys the Antichrist, establishes this new world. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The Bible envisages that this planet with all the dross, I just happened to be looking at you again there, Jim. Okay, with all the dross, okay, will be consumed. Everything you know about evil. Look, why do farmers, after they have harvested uh, their, their crops, why do they set them on fire? Someone tell me. Yes, what does it do to all those pests and bugs and whatever? What does it do to them? It completely eradicates them so that you can rebuild replant, regrow. This world is endemically sinful. It's in the DNA of every being and it's in the very DNA of this cosmos. It's why the whole of the cosmos is breaking down. When we see a star fall out of the universe, we kind of think it's a fabulous sight. It's not! It's death! It's decay! It's wastage. Jesus never produced a star to fall from its, limb, from its orbit. He produced it to shine eternally. But there's something fundamentally wrong. And what the end of time brings is a burning up of this world in its present state. It's, 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 a, it's a reconfiguring of his DNA. And in, in chapter 21, we see after the planet has been laid bare, all of the sinful DNA eradicated, as it were, in Revelation 21. Then I saw in its place, or on, on its place, or the redevelopment of this bare earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, and all, everything we knew about it had passed away. And I think what it's simply saying to us, friends, is that the earth and everything about it is destroyed and recreated back to what state? What state of the earth have our ancestors lost for us, robbed us of? That we're going to get back. What is it? It's Eden. Eden. Look, Adam has robbed us of Eden. He has. The reason we're living in such a messed up world in Australia is on the top list of those places, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the reason the world's so messed up the reason is killing and, and famine and a lack of rainfall is because Adam has robbed us of Eden. He's robbed our children of Eden. And he's left us to live in this dog-eat-dog world. That's what it is, isn't it? But... What God does at the end of time, he restores Eden. Look, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a brand new restored heaven. When God says in Genesis 1.31 that he saw everything in, he was made and he was very good, then the new one, I'm sure, if, if we had words of how God would look on the new one, it would be something like this. And the Lord saw everything that he'd remade and he was very very good. The world is returning to its Edenic state. 
what Adam has lost will be recaptured. So we live in a world that is physical, the, the final heaven, not the place that we go to when we immediately die in the presence of Jesus in some place we don't know where. We're talking about the final resting place of resurrected people, the new earth. Secondly, Eden Revisited, it's just like, um, it's, it's a physical existence with similar properties. Let me show you this, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead will rise first. After that, those of us who are left will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. So there's a physical earth, and I think this is suggesting, friends, there's a physical body to go on that physical earth. There's this resurrection and a meeting of Jesus. I want to show you why this is physical. So up, and, up until Jesus' own death and resurrection, we had Lazarus. Somebody, somebody tell me, there's at least three, and I'm pretty sure there's only three, unless you know more, that Jesus raised to life. There's Lazarus. Who else? Young boy, the widow of Nain, Luke 7. And Tabitha, Mark 5, uh, Jairus' daughter. What are we certain? What are we certain that happened to all of those people after they had, they had, anybody else for a nice bowl? Okay. Uh, what are we certain had happened to all those people after their bringing back to life? Tabitha, uh, Jairus' daughter, uh, Lazarus, the widow's son, they died. There is no record of them living. In fact, have you ever, have you ever seen the widow's son? No, look, he's not around anymore. They died. There's something about Jesus' resurrection that's unique. You see, everyone else Jesus brought to life was a temporary recovery, resuscitation, if you like, of life. But his own death and coming to life was the first resurrection when jesus came back out of the tomb he didn't he, he didn't just return to life to carry on living for the next four decades and then die again as a human he came back in a resurrected body and we're told that it's the first of those resurrected bodies i'll show that in a minute but i want to show you something about jesus's body how it was fundamentally transformed and that that is the body that you and I will receive when we are resurrected in Jesus to live on the new planet. So Jesus' body had a new appearance, John 20. Let me just speed up because I want to close. Jesus' body had a new appearance. When Mary saw him, John 20, what are we told? That she did not recognize him. And now it wasn't due to her tears. For goodness sake, come on. No, he looked different. In fact, when the disciples have breakfast with him, listen to this, John 21, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Why? Because they're thinking, who is this guy? He looked different. Resurrected bodies look different. And boy, is that good for you, mate, isn't it? Isn't that hope? Seriously. They look different. Hallelujah. The next, resurrected bodies had some resemblance. So they look different, but there's some resemblance of our earthly bodies. Because what, was, what did Jesus take with him in his resurrected body? What was Thomas able to do? Put your finger here. 
and, and, and here. So even though these bodies look different, the resurrected bodies, uh, to live on the new planet, they, they hold some resemblance to what we look like now. I'm not sure quite what, uh, but some resemblance. Next, Jesus' resurrected body could be handled. Remember what Mary did to him when she saw that he was uh, Jesus and cried out, Rabbi, what did she do to him? She grasped him, okay? She held on to him. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me. So resurrected bodies can be handled. Hey, you can give someone a kutch. You don't use that here, do you? It's Welsh. It means, it means cuddle. Okay, so that can be handled. Jesus, next, Jesus' resurrected body could stand on floors. Wait for this. I love this one. Stands on floors but walks through walls simultaneously. So look at John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week for fear of the, Jew, of the Romans uh, and the Pharisees, that when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of them, what does Jesus do when he wants to come in? No. What does he do? What does he do? He walks through the door. But he doesn't then fall through the floor, does he? He walks through the door, but he doesn't fall through the floor. Boy, that's a tongue twister. Try that before you preach next week. Okay. So which means he's got complete control to manipulate the molecular structure of his body at will. He can make it enter matter or he can make it stand on matter whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases. What a body, eh? Yeah? Next one. Jesus' resurrected body could eat if desired. I'm pleased about this one. I don't know about you, but I do like eating. Okay? Contrary to what my figure may suggest, I like eating. Okay? John 21. Notice Jesus says, come and have breakfast. He shares breakfast with them. Breakfast or food in Eastern culture is all about community but nevertheless we, we we assume don't we Jesus ate with them so your resurrected body can have food if you fancy it and finally resurrected bodies do and this is my all time favourite inter celestial travel have you ever wanted to travel to the other parts of the universe or have a visit of heaven for a day trip but you will you will Listen to this. The resurrected bodies do inter-celestial travel. In Acts 1.9, he was taken up before their very eyes from a physical world into the uh, non-physical heaven. And yet, from there, Acts 23, he was able to at will go from heaven to earth. Listen to this. The Lord stood with Paul in Rome when he was about to go to Rome and says, look, take courage. So Jesus' body could be on a physical earth and a spiritual heaven simultaneously. Well, not simultaneously necessarily, but I'm sure he could, but we wouldn't, I don't suppose. But at least consecutively. So Jesus' resurrected body had a new appearance, resembled earthly bodies, could be handled, could stand on floors, would walk through walls, could eat if desired, and do intercelestial travel. And, says Paul, that's the body you're going to get. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Christ was indeed raised from the dead... The first fruits. What's the first fruit? It's the first installments of everything that will follow. In other words, friends, what Paul is absolutely categorically saying is, see that body that Jesus had? Did you like it? Did you like it? Because you're getting on. All of your own. 
And you're going to get this physical body that can do spectacular spiritual things to live on a new planet that has direct access to the heavenly realm. A physical existence with a spiritual quality to it, a backwards and forwards. Remember Jacob's dream? He was prophesying as well as speaking about what Jacob saw, this ladder of angels ascending and descending. Our future is one whereby we'll ascend and descend a spiritual heaven and a physical earth in a, in a body that can change its quality and DNA and molecular structure rather at will. That's the life. God has planned for you and he's planned it for you on this new planet and he's planned it for you. And this is my finale now. I'm going to finish with this. He's planned it for you with a husband. The greatest, the greatest thing about heaven, the new earth and new heaven, is that we'll share it with our husband. Who's that? Jesus. It's Jesus. Look at this. Let me take you back to Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That is not a city. What is it? That is not a city. It's not a temple. Sorry, mate. It's not a city. It's not a temple. Somebody tell me what it is. What is this thing coming down out of heaven to the new planet? What is it? It's not a city. I'm going to show you why in a minute. But have a guess. It's not a city. It's not even Jesus. Sorry. It's not God's kingdom. It tells you there, look. It's the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a... What is it? What is this city? It's a bride. It's you. And if you don't believe me, let me take you to verse 9. Listen to this, verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you who. Who's he going to show him? I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And then he carried me away in the spirit to a great higher mountain. And he showed me what? So what is the city? The bride of Christ. And so what's happening on the new planet, if you can see, because when Jesus resurrects everybody, they go to heaven to be with him, to be forever with the Lord. He rejuvenates the earth. And then in, in Revelation 21, he does what with the bride? He brings it back down and places the bride on the planet. And she's beautifully dressed, not for a party, not for the cinema, okay? Not for a meal, She's beautifully dressed for what or who? Jesus! Can you see that? Your goal, your finale, your destiny, your future, even beyond the fantastic new planet and access to heaven. Wow, but wow, 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 wow is this that our future is Can you see that the finale of the universe is more than a new planet? It's a bride and a husband united in marriage, living forever. That's what Daniel anticipated in his prophecy when he said that at the end of time, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life.